Welcome to the Mobile Monger Podcast, where we go behind the scenes in the cheese world to chat with the people making, selling, or distributing your favorite specialty food products. I'm your host, Janae Muha, certified cheese professional, longtime cheesemonger, and producer advocate. Folia Farms was one of my introductions to small farmstead and sustainable farms when I was coming of age in the cheese world. Giannoclis and Vern Caldwell created a distinct floor plan for what small goat dairying could be, and while their commercial operation may have ended, her teachings have continued in the numerous books she has written around holistic goat care. This episode checks in with Giannoclis to find out how retirement from cheesemaking is going and what's been keeping her busy these days. Giannis Caldwell, and I've been a cheesemaker for some time now, and we ran a commercial dairy for about 10 years, and well, actually longer than that, but made the cheese for about 10 years, and then life kind of, uh, as life will do, got in the way of those plans, and we had to shift gears a bit, and so still milking a couple goats, and we have our farm, but uh, uh, it's not a cheese production facility active anymore. I got into cheese, uh, grew up milking cows, I made yogurt since I was a little kid. Uh, I'm part Greek, so it was always drained yogurt, although we never called it Greek yogurt, it's just how you did it. And uh, my mom tried making cheese when uh, we, I was younger, and luckily, and I'm saying that uh, because for her life, it didn't turn out, probably blew from what we call coliforms, not what we call what are coliforms. Uh, because otherwise my dad would have insisted she had start doing that in addition to all the other things she was doing. So <laughs> bacteria saved her. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I started making cheese uh, more eat more uh, seriously in the early 2000s when we got our first goats. And I was new to goats at the time, but knew we'd have more milk than we could just drink or make into yogurt and uh, enjoyed the process so much. Uh, if you like things that are challenging, you know, and changeable and not going to be the same all the time, cheese making is really good for that. And uh, then I have a family of cheese eaters and uh, I love cheese too, but these are the people, you know, that are always speaks when you're grading it, you know, are always <laughs> reaching in and taking it and irritating you. But turns out that's a good thing to have if you want to be a professional. Yeah, so then I just, I got Ricky Carroll's book, which most of us is what we started with. And still people to this day, it's a great book to start with. Of course, I, one of mine I also recommend. And uh, I just adored it. So then we were getting close to Vern, my husband, retiring from the Marine Corps. And knew we had this piece of family land in Southern Oregon that we could move back to. And thought, well, what could we do that we could all live there and work? And it was right about the time you were hearing so much about small farmstead creameries. And we did what probably more people than will admit do, which is to think, oh, it sounds so romantic and idyllic. And parts of it definitely were. But, uh, for example, we moved, when we moved back up here, we had, I think, six horses. And I rode and trained and used to show. And... I was doing printmaking and fine art printmaking, and I just thought we could keep doing all of that, but nope, nope. <laughs> so that's that's the summary in a nutshell, big nutshell. 
Uh, what year did you start making cheese? Uh, commercially, we got licensed in 2006. Okay. Yep. Um, so my start in cheese kind of started in 2002, but I moved okay. back to Portland in like 2003, 2004. Okay. Um, and I worked at the downtown Whole Foods and I just remember right. hearing about yeah. Folia Farms for so long. Yeah. We kind of started together. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But we couldn't really get your guys's cheese because it was pretty, um, like no, where did our, you sell to? Well, at our peak, we only made about 2000 pounds a year. So, you know, very small. And when we started out, most of it did go distance. So Steve Jones, cheese, cheese bar and Steve's cheese. Originally he took a good chunk, uh, pastoral in Chicago. And, uh, then, um, Max McCallum's, cheese shop I can't even remember artisanal or something in New York so it went to those three places and then as the local palette here in southern Oregon improved so to speak <laughs> more and more of it we could bring it in closer to not have to go quite as far and have that carbon footprint added to the product which was always we are off the power grid and we never use plastic packaging we were trying to do our best to not be part of that now of course most cheesemakers have to because of food safety and you know it's it's a it's tricky being commercial and trying to keep your uh, standards some of the standards because you you have to meet those other needs yeah i think especially with um like the food modernization act has kind of changed um i think in the early 2000s and you could probably speak to this, like it was a bit easier to kind of get up and running than it is now. Yeah, maybe. it actually hasn't changed at all for somebody our scale, at least not noticeably, except for in insurance costs. Uh, but just the reality of if you're going to have a product that's going to distribution, which we never did. Uh, so if you're going to be a little larger than us, uh, you know, so make a few more pounds than a ton in a year, uh, you're going to probably need a distributor, and that means storage and multiple hands handling it. So it becomes more and more difficult to, to uh, you want the food to stay in good shape. And uh, so, and it depends on the product too. We made hard aged cheeses, which are so easy to transport. You know, they don't have to be at fridge temps even truly. And uh, so it was just easier to wrap it in paper. But if we'd done soft, fresh cheeses or things that were wet, that's not going to be a, a possibility. Right. Yeah. Um, can you kind of walk me through like what you said, hard aged cheeses, raw milk, goat, yes. obviously. Yeah. Um, kind of what styles were you going for? Oh, so I am a big believer. And when I teach cheese making, I, you know, I say, pick the species you like, pick the breed you like to work with. Then you start making all sorts of different cheeses and see what your terroir, including not just what the animals are eating, but what might come into the process during aging. And it does, you know, there are external uh, forces, microbial and uh, fun fungus and, you know, all those things are microbes, of course, but uh, affecting it. So I very much felt like that was the art side of it. You've got the technical and the science, which I adore. But I'm a former artist too, or still in some ways. And you want to see what can nature, but what, what a, instead of fighting it, what will this milk make? So because a Nigerian dwarfs, which is the breed we milked, uh, are still milk, their milk is very much like sheep's milk, which I learned from um, taking a class where we worked with sheep's milk and goat. And I was 
this is, I don't have goat milk. And so that, that person, that cheesemaker, he taught me to how to work a little bit differently with, with it and treat it more like sheep's milk. So you're cutting the curd differently and dealing with that huge yield in the vat differently because it's harder to stir because there's so little whey comparatively. Uh, so I then started going more in the direction of sheep's milk base recipes. But of course you can do any, any recipe with any milk. You're just going to have to modify it. And you even have to do that with the same species year round because it's just good to change. And, and that's kind of what's fun if you like to keep, you know, on your toes thinking. <laughs> but, you know, people who like goats pretty much already like that because goats do that to you anyway. <laughs> Definitely. Goats are fun. Yeah, um, they're a challenge. So th- I'm really interested in this whole idea of like the Nigerian goat milk being more like sheep yeah. milk. So is it more like a higher fat content, more protein? Higher fat, higher protein. Uh, very high in the right kind of protein for making cheese. Uh, so yeah, the yield on, on a hard cheese for us would be about 18%, which for cow and, and goat, it's going to be more like 11 and 12%. So, you know, significantly more dense. And that doesn't mean it's a good commercial choice for a cheesemaker because will your customer pay that difference in, you know, you still have four hooves to trim for maybe half the milk, and, you know, trouble with, with everything, you know, it's just, it's a lot, it's different. So uh, typically people will integrate some Nigerians into the herd now, you know, if they're going to be a little more profitable and, or crosses, which I, I adored. We did some crossbreeding with La Mancha, which is the, sh- the short-eared goat uh, toward the end. And I, I really like those for cheese milk and got the best of both worlds so it, it always depends when I'm consulting with folks, which I still do actively for business, uh, their business side of it and setting up floor plans. You, know, you, you look at what are your financial needs going to be? Do you have the luxury of making products that you want to or milking breeds that you want to versus what's going to actually pay the bills? And you might have that luxury. So, you know, if you're embracing this as a lifestyle choice and a, a business you want to pay for itself and hopefully a little bit more, but you can make different choices than if you're you're trying to, you know, pay a loan on the property or the equipment. And I, I don't know of many putting any side any aside for college for their kids. So <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the rub is people always yeah. think like, oh, I spend so much money on cheese at the store, mm. but the cheesemakers aren't the ones getting it. They're not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I teach a class that's to consumers, that usually is one of their takeaways, uh, both through what I'm saying and they're just their experiences that so much more goes into it than they ever realized. And if they were if they can just find it in their budget to pay a little bit more, maybe eat a little bit less. Uh, they're going to help animals and help the planet and help farmers and their, and their taste buds. (laughs) Yeah. I always recommended that from behind the counter too. Like I would much prefer people spend a little bit more money on like a really robust cheese that they're going to really enjoy and they savor versus the like two pounds of whatever for cheese. Yeah. And you know, you still want that cheese too, you know, stuff to put on the pizza where the flavors might get drowned out by garlic and and nachos. And, you know, we all need those cheeses as well, but I, you know, set some aside for just eating on their own. Right. That balance. Yeah. So 
you quit making cheese commercially how long ago now? We stopped making Folia Farm aged cheeses in 2016. And then for a couple more years, we made a product called Cheese Arizo, which is coming back into market thanks to Sean Fells, who uh, owns Portland Creamery. And I'm not sure when that's going to happen, but that was a cooking cheese. And uh, we used cow's milk we brought in for that. And, you know, like I said, life stuff, we're caring for elderly parents now and just can't do it all for some reason. (laughs) Well, I feel like even during your time making cheese, you still did a lot. So you've written a Mm -hmm. few books. Yep. Yep. You want to talk about those? I would love to. (laughs) I have six uh, books out in nonfiction and uh, they're all on either cheese making, uh, dairy topics, uh, holistic goat care, and they were all things that were, they were ways really excuses for me to take time and study and then try to organize that, what I learned and compiled. And I'm a, I'm a good organizer and a good regurgitator and not being a PhD myself, uh, I wanted to understand what were in those books that were written for that higher level of academia and then be able to share it because it's just, it's so enlightening to what you're doing. So I'd, I'd always wanted to write, but write fiction. And there wasn't time to really do that without feeling as though you were then requiring somebody else in the family to do your ex- other work. And I just can't, can't do that. So uh, now that we're done, now I'm, now I'm working on my fiction. So <laughs> now it's time for the fun stuff. <laughs> Yes, the fun stuff for sure. And the other was fun too. And, but it, and it definitely, I mean, it got, a, got us connected to people like you and uh, so many great people in the food world. Uh, we would never trade any of the things we did for, for that, not having that. And I think it really positioned you as almost an expert in the holistic goat care world because you get to travel around and do consultations and you, do speaking engagements and stuff too, right? Yes. And unfortunately there are so many people out there. I mean, I, there are many people that came before me, Pat Colby, as far as the natural goat world people that were my mentors. So we all have a cadre, hopefully of mentors. And then as you learn, you share with others and that's, that's just really how, how it should be. Um, And the food world was so amenable to that as far as in most people don't feel like they have it's all top secret and uh you can't you can't teach somebody else and i always tell there's there's always some you can always teach somebody something even if you only had one cheese making class you could share that and by teaching you learn i mean there's nothing that demands more challenge to your own knowledge base than teaching and so in a way it was a it's a way for me to be challenged and you know, try to keep the gray matter working. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was just having a conversation with someone who is trying to kind of figure out what their next steps are in the world of cheese and, um, just like, they're just, um, so I'm doing a sensory evaluation class. I'm teaching assistant for it. Um, so we're dealing with people who are may or may not get into the cheese world, but they're interested in it. And so, um, somebody was asking like, oh, well, should I, you know, get behind the counter? Like, should I go work part-time behind a counter? Right. And I was totally like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I have learned more from working behind the counter. Cause you just have no idea what somebody's going to ask you. 
And my knowledge of specialty yeah. foods has just grown immensely because yeah. of the random questions that people ask. Yeah. You know, way more than I do in that regard. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, there it's just, it is almost limitless on what you can, can, and also what you can forget. <laughs> well, there's that too. There's that yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but I think that happens a lot in the, it's not necessarily a teaching role, but it kind of is. Cause you are no, in a it, position it totally of is. like, you know, yeah. you know more than the consumer. So you're still kind of in that yeah. power yeah. dynamic of you're guiding them toward yeah. their own experience with cheese and, and that's invaluable. And, and not, nobody loves a good cheesemonger more than a cheesemaker. So let's <laughs> say Steve Jones was such a, he was just there for the cheesemakers as far as how he represented our products. And uh, yeah, so yeah, good job for you. I mean, good job you. <laughs> well, it's just such a fun, like it's an aspect I don't think that people realize from behind the counter that like, you're going to learn a ton. Um, yeah. But I think that that happens too when you do any sort of classes because you just have no idea yes. what's going to pop up, bubble up in someone's head. Yeah. And I'm sure we've, you've been in classes too, where you can tell the instructor doesn't know and they make something up. And I despise that. I think humility is important to maintain as far as, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. And I can try to find out. Yeah. Uh, it's the other is just, ugh, I just can't stand that. And you see it and, or people tell them the wrong thing. And then you are dealing with misinformation. Of course, all of us have errors like that in our knowledge base, but uh, be ready to have it pointed out. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I much prefer someone who says, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. I look yeah. at that as like, you actually know what you're talking about then. I you're know. Willing to, willing to admit yeah. that. <laughs> it's way more validating. Yeah. You know, cheese, cheese has come a long way and, you know, there are, we got into ACS, our first American Cheese Society conference was in 2005, and uh, the the world of the cheese people just was so welcoming, and you know, many of those people have moved on now as well, and that's something that you see, and it makes you feel a little less alone. Uh, many of them, of course, grew and sold and made a bigger, bigger splash than we did, and uh, it it's just been, it's been such an honor to be, you know, friends still with all those people. And many of them helped me with my books as far as both interviews and profiles and readers too, you know, people to read and, and tell you where you're wrong before it gets put in print. Uh, so we, it's just been, it's been fantastic. Uh, I guess the succession planning is something that I kind of wanted to touch on because a lot of yes. people have either um, felt like the only option was to sell to somebody bigger. Um, so how did you guys kind of play out those options for well, what you it were was, doing? That was really never, our business wasn't a model that would have moved to another owner very well. Typically small farmstead cheesemakers, they're going to, it'll be on your own property. And unless you're ready to give that up and move, it's not going to continue as that same business. And uh, you know, so that was a choice we made initially. Of course, at the time, we thought that our youngest daughter, Amelia, who's now at, currently running a cheese shop that in uh, Grants Pass, Oregon, uh, she, we thought she was going to take it over. So uh, there, there had been that hope. And, and when it became obvious that her life was going in a different direction, 
that had to change. But but yeah, and there's it's it's really actually wonderful if you can sell because that probably means you have employees and that pro- that sale means that they usually get to keep their jobs. So I think building that sort of a business is wonderful. It just was never a model. I'm not a good, I'm a good teacher, but I'm not a good, I'm not comfortable being a manager or that sort of thing. So uh, I don't, I don't enjoy that. So it would have taken the pleasure out of it. Rather just do it myself kind of person. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Which is, is kind of stubborn really. And uh, and maybe yeah. a little perfectionism you, in there too. Oh, I touch. Yeah. If you ask <laughs> my children, you'll get a big earful on that. And probably all the woofers we had, we used woof uh, worldwide opportunities on organic farms for many of our, our interns. You know, we just have one or one or two at a time. And, and I know I was a challenge for some of them and they taught me a lot, you know, and trying to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why writing is a great career because it pretty much all is on you. And particularly now that switching to fiction, uh, with nonfiction, you usually get your contract before you fin- wrote the book. And that means you have a deadline, which there's nothing better than a deadline for getting you going. With fiction, you have to have a very polished manuscript before you ever start looking for your agent or anything. And uh, that means several years of self-driven work. And so for people like me that are a little on that, that uh, side, it's a good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that's working out for you because I need a deadline. Well, Otherwise I'm like, yes. I don't, that's not going to No, happen. and I'll, I'll still do better with a deadline. Uh, but, but now as I'm 60, I do have a deadline, you know, <laughs> it's the real one <laughs> coming. You know, we all have that. We don't know when it is, but it just becomes way more apparent that you're gonna, going to run out of active really ambitious years. And uh, so that is definitely a deadline. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get it done now. I'm sure that's been a Stephen King title somewhere, huh? Deadline. (laughs) (laughs) If not, it should be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I wrote in that genre, I'd write it down right now. (laughs) Uh, So I've had the fortunate ability to come and visit the farm. I would love you to just kind of tell people about what you and Vern have built out there and how amazing of a place it is. Oh, well, thanks. But uh, so it's, we're on 24 acres of a couple hundred that my parents started buying in the 1940s. This is the land of, was the land of the Tekelma people, uh, the indigenous folks from around here. And there are very few, if any of them left. So I carry that with me <laughs> as an awareness. Uh, so I got this 24 back uh, and there was nothing on it. So we decided to go off, be off the power grid, even though there's electricity on either side of us, it was just a lifestyle choice that we made together and uh, built the farm. Uh, currently now it's, it's still beautiful and uh, there's big barn and we have uh, an Airbnb uh, that we've had for many years. So if people wanna come visit the farm, that's still an availability. Uh, this year, without having baby goats to draw people in, we've noticed a real drop in attendance, though. <laughs> uh, so hopefully that'll that'll change. But but yeah, so now we run that and um, caring for this property as well as uh, our in uh, my in-laws and my mother's property and and doing that. And um, still have classes here at the farm, just mostly the once a year uh, farmstead cheesemaker short course. 
So it's a three-day intensive, pretty deep dive into the science and uh, art, art of the product or making cheeses and uh, keep it very, keep that very small. But it's a, it's a, one of those good challenges for me. Not doing any traveling anymore because of caring for the parents and COVID was, uh, you know, kind of made that an easy cut because everything stopped, of course. And so it made it where I could then shift to fiction without letting people down because we weren't allowed to go anywhere anyway. So <laughs> there's definitely been some um, pluses yes. along with the minuses of COVID. Yes. Yes. And it's important to remember that. Uh, I'm also glad to hear that Vern is keeping busy at you know, a couple of properties he's got to yeah. take care of too. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully he's having some fun with that too. Not just, not just all the responsibility, but we're doing some camping now, uh, which we, we both adore. So we're, we're finding ways to just go out for a couple nights fairly close so that if we need to get back to take care of a, a health emergency, we can do it. Uh, but that's, that's fun. So good. I'm glad yeah. to hear you're taking some yes. time. Good. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, so you're going to continue writing books. Like what's next for Geonicles? Well, hopefully Geonicles will get an agent soon because uh, without an agent going forward in fiction, unless you want to self-publish is really not a, not a thing. And uh, I'm getting closer. It's a process uh, learning the craft of fiction, completely different from nonfiction and a really fun challenge. I wish I'd started much sooner uh, other than when I messed around in my 20s with writing a novel. Uh, but it's I, I'm really enjoying it. And I just finished a second uh, manuscript that I'll now start that whole revision process for while I continue to work on trying to get representation. Um, but yeah, I just want to keep doing that. I have a have another one after that that I, I'm determined to write. So hopefully that will become a, a second career and yeah, keep keep up with my little goaties as they age. Now <laughs> now we're just an old goat farm, really, and we're the lead old goats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm still going to do some ACS stuff going up there this time too, and it'll be in Portland, as you know, and uh, you know help out with some things. And yeah, that's yeah. we're trying to go with the flow. Might as well, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so I have a few questions that I always ask at the end okay. of these. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, I'm like, I always say that they're easy, but they're not because they're kind of on the spot. But, you know, you'll, I'm sure you'll do great. Get so the first one, what is your current cheese crush? Oh, gosh. I love so many cheeses. I, I really, it's like asking favorite color. I, I really can't be honest and have one because uh, it just depends on what you're what you're eating and That's what why I said current. <laughs> well, this morning I had some Greek feta. Um, I don't really have a crush. I'm I'm poly cheese poly fromage, <laughs> polyamorous cheese lover. That's fair. I, you know what? I usually have a hard time, but there's usually some yeah. cheese that I have that I'm like, what's currently. yours? Oh boy. Um, well, <laughs> no, I was just thinking about, I have a ridiculous amount of cheese in my refrigerator right now. Um, yeah. but I did just 
take down an entire eight ounce uh, ball of Oaxaca from Don oh, Froilin, you know, in like no time at all. And it wasn't, just- I almost, I almost brought up Don Froilin because uh, Francisca's and Lisa's cheeses, there isn't a single one of them that isn't perfect. And um, I'm glad that they're getting out into more markets because they're like the thing, the cheese people should be just getting regularly. Yeah, no, totally agree with that. Yeah, I took one down. Yeah, I finished like off a couple one days. yesterday. <laughs> no problem whatsoever. And then we used the queso botanero and we made a Mexican. That's lasagna. my, that's probably almost my favorite more than the Oaxaca. This is, I love that little, those little peppers in the cilantro. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Yep, yep. All right, next one. Your favorite cheese pairing. I mean, again, depends on what I'm having. I mean, some bourbons are so good with some cheeses and we don't don't go out specifically when we're shopping to look for a certain cheese usually. It's um, what's there, what's on sale, what needs to be moved and because we like so many and there's something that will go with all of them and be really good. I don't eat wheat, so I don't do the crackery things and things. So I'm usually just like, even if it's a fresh cheese of fingers and, <laughs> and that. I often but, think that people rely too much on the vehicle oh, and not the cheese itself. Completely. So. Yeah. It can, it can mess it up too. But uh, you know, of course, blues with, with uh, ports and things and even with bourbon and stuff. I don't do much sugar, so, uh, but that's always so good. And of course, being down here by Rogue Creamery. <laughs> You're in flux with all of that, definitely. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, uh, all right, next one. I'll see if all I right. can The last answer. one, and I feel like <laughs> you will be able to kind of come up with a definitive oh, answer good. for this one. Oh, good, I'll get Hopefully. a see then. <laughs> um your top food memory like it doesn't necessarily have to be a specific meal it could just be like a place that you really enjoyed being around the people and with food and well yeah first thing that came to mind was just when I was really little all I we used to buy raw honey by the gallon and then we would have the Greek style yogurt and just scraping those honey crystals off and dipping the yogurt up, you know, in a little bit of yogurt and so you scrape off the crystals in your mouth. That's still, I mean, if I eat honey and yogurt now, it's that same moment of just joy. Uh, so, so that's always really good. And, and um, some of the chefs we've gotten to dine with have been, been amazing memories too. But I, I would still go to that yogurt and honey because it just, it's as pure pretty much of two products as you can get. And, and, uh, I would take big bowls. My mom said she used to have to stop me because my stomach would just get bloated with yogurt. (laughs) Great, great picture there. Bloated baby. (laughs) You know, it was pretty idyllic. I had this whole idea of like the sun coming behind you as you're like taking these spoonfuls and then a bloated baby tummy. But that, that answer also feeds into your favorite cheese pairing. Oh, yeah. Um, you answered the question. You answered okay. both of them in one. So, okay. But see, you. I don't consider yogurt a cheese. Yeah. I know it crosses the border when it's drained, but. 
I've, I'll still count it, even though it's not. Oh, good. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I make um, a lot of paneer now. Okay. It's just with our, what little milk we have, it's just the go-to for a vegetarian and uh, just so versatile with everything. So it's paneer is pretty great too. I, yes. I, I like fancy, but just plain everyday things that you can eat and gain a lot of nutrition from and is a, is really the foundation. I'm a big proponent of the fresh, simple cheeses because, mm-hmm. you know, they just are so, they're so, they're such a testament to the quality of the milk. And yep. you can't, you can't do, you can't have bad milk and have good fresh cheese. You right. just can't. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well said. Um, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would like to touch on? I don't think so. Other than, you know, encouraging people, which I'm sure you do all the time to go to that farmer's market and talk to the cheesemaker. Oh, I know. One thing I always like to say is never ask them what type of cheese it is. <laughs> ask, ask them what style or how it was made because it, it, doesn't have to be a familiar name to be real cheese and uh, cheesemakers love a exam- a chance to teach and explain their process versus saying it's a cheddar, it's a gouda, it's a mozzarella, whatever that we think we know. Yeah, one day we'll be able to get people out of the very yeah. stringent boxes that they like to yeah. put cheese in. They're, they're pushing out. Yeah, yeah you can help them. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Gianaclis. I feel yeah, like I, I mean, I love touching base with you guys and I yeah, come back down sometime, even though there are no baby goats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you and Vern are, you know, that's enough of a draw for me. So, <laughs> and I'm excited. I'll get to see you in July for ACS. Yes. yes that'll be fun. Many things have changed since the early 2000s in the cheese world. People have come and gone, but this era of American artisan cheese began years prior with people working so diligently to create something new. I'm grateful to have been in a time with Gianicles and Burns cheeses and to know that their hard work lives on in the teachings and writings from those days on the farm. This podcast is recorded, produced, and edited by me, Janae Muha. Thank you to Ben Muha for allowing me to use your music. Follow along on my cheesy adventures at Instagram, Facebook, or get more content at Patreon. My website is also a great hub for all of my goings-on. Thanks for listening, and remember to keep spreading the word of good curd. Good curd.